Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with Nancy Lamaster, who is the committee chair from the Institute for Supply Management. She's the committee chair for the Hospital Purchasing Managers Index Report, a, a report I'd love to get into with Nancy because this is the front lines of the healthcare industry in America. Nancy, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tim, for having me. So how is the hospital industry doing? What's the purchasing manager's index number coming in at? And how are they doing? Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about volume first. So in July, the PMI continued strong at 54.9, but it was down a little bit from June where it was 58%. Um, business activity was up a little bit, 59 or 57.5 versus 56. But we saw a fall off in new orders. They came in at 52.5 versus 59. So that was kind of a big drop, 7%. And uh, backlog of orders was down slightly, 52 versus 53.5. And so when I look at the numbers and I look at the comments, I guess I said, if I had one word for this month, it's kind of mixed. So what we really heard was that um, hospitals are seeing some increase in COVID again. Uh, not to the extent that it's pushing any of the electives out, but I think with a variant that is so contagious, kind of the math would suggest that there is going to be a small number that, um, that do end up hospitalized with this variant. Um, but overall, it was kind of uh, in between. Some of the panelists said there was a little bit of softening in the volume this month, um, and some of that could be attributed to summer. Summer used to be a really big time for hospitals, and now pediatric hospitals still it is, but with high deductible plans, a lot of times we see electives push further out in the year. So we think seasonality might have played a little bit in it. There were also comments that although we're not seeing a lot of people hospitalized with the uh, BA5 variant of COVID, we still are seeing patients come in for electives and find out they're positive and have to reschedule or staff end up with it. So it's had an impact on capacity somewhat. The other impact is still staffing. So employment came in at 50. That was down from 54 the previous month. We saw it in the manufacturing and service reports too. So we're still having trouble um, being able to retain staff and the time lag for recruiting and onboarding, you know, is can be significant in some of these positions. So, you know, I think that the hospitals are seeing a resurgence in electives, which is good. Uh, might be a little bit slower than we thought it was going to be, but nobody seems very worried. But we are still battling kind of the impact, often indirect impacts of COVID. Well, it's uh, unfortunate that COVID is still with us. We have heard some people say that COVID is going to be with us forever. So it looks like that may well be the case. What is happening in terms of the hospital arena and purchasing managers preparing for monkeypox? So monkeypox is, is quite a bit different than we've gone through with with COVID. So it has been um, declared a, a health emergency, which is primarily done to be able to open up some of the, or add tools, I guess we'd say, to the toolbox for those fighting it. It allows us to expand production of vaccines. Currently, the vaccine for monkeypox is produced by one small country in Denmark, 
for the entire world. Um, oh so, so that is a challenge. With this, we can look to some of our, our domestic providers to potentially increase that supply of vaccine. This is, is a, a virus that is known currently to impact primarily one demographic, and that has been gay and bisexual men. And so we're working really hard to get that population educated and vaccinated. And while it's a very uncomfortable uh, disease, and we definitely want to stop it, no one has died from it in the US. And so it's not likely to impact the hospitals per se, um, more likely to impact the clinics where we would be trying to set up clinics to get people vaccinated. So that's kind of where we see that going. Um, but definitely something we wanna stay on top of. Definitely, you know, if, if you think back to the AIDS epidemic, um, you know, which of course was deadly, but one of the challenges is viruses don't stay in a given population very often. They usually spread out into a broader population. We've had at least two children with monkeypox um, at this point. So again, it's something to stay vigilant, to get the vaccines out there, to get people educated, but it's not something to panic about. Nancy, what's the difference between a national health emergency and eventually we get the pandemic? Well, it would have to do with the volume of people impacted and the rate, okay? So the World Health Organization came out first um, because monkeypox is, is, is spreading worldwide and they wanna open that up. Uh, we actually had a couple of states declare a health emergency prior to the, the uh, CDC declaring it. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's really about being able to have the tools to ramp up production of, of vaccine. That's, that's really what we're trying to do here. Okay. So you've got a couple of updates for us, topics you and I have been tossing back and forth for uh, several months. Uh, I'm, I'm very anxious to hear the research you've done and what you uh, have got to share with us. Okay. Um, well, so one of the things, you know, when we talk about supplier availability, and in fact, I think maybe Tim, I'll go ahead and, and hit a few of the supply chain metrics from the report and then fold that into my update on domestic production. Okay. So, Supplier deliveries came in at 59.5. So they're still, you know, slow, but slowing. And we heard that in the manufacturing report as well. So things are looking up a little bit there. Inventory came in at 40 versus 46.5. So inventories are continuing to contract. We saw in the, um, the comments that people are, are still trying to burn down that PPE inventory and their sentiment at 61.5 said it's still too high over 60.5. And so one of the things we've been looking for is how do we offset our risk with basically our PPE being uh, manufactured outside the US? And during the worst of the crisis, there was a lot of talk about reshoring, bringing things back. And there's been a lot of talk, but finally there is actually a, some concrete evidence of that. It's a really exciting joint venture. Uh, the company is called Safe Source. And it's a joint venture between the Ashner Clinic in Louisiana. So a healthcare provider and a company called Trax Development. And they have set up a plant in Louisiana and have actually started producing PPE here in the US. They're starting with um, some of the chemical cleaners 
and gloves, um, trying to, to work out that, but they've done, um, uh, they're, but they're planning to expand into masks, gowns, and even the N95 respirator, excuse me, masks. And so I think it's just a really exciting example of, you know, both uh, a public company coming together with a healthcare system and, and, you know, taking it all the way to opening a production plant. And, you know, I think we'll see more of these as we go. Now, again, it's going to be small scale to start with, but at least we're really trying to make a difference in, in the market and provide options. And the other thing that they're really focused on is the quality control in this area. You know, we saw, unfortunately, uh, a fair amount of counterfeit product and substandard product come in during the pandemic. And one of the things that Safe Source, you know, by their name, right, Safe Source, um, is really going to focus on is rigorous quality control. So those products will meet the needs of our healthcare providers and keep our patients safe. So I thought that was something exciting you'd like to know about. And Nancy, you may not know this, but let me ask, is this something that we think is going to expand to other healthcare providers? You know, I, I don't know in that it's, it is unusual for a healthcare provider to get involved in a venture outside, you know, their primary mission. But having said that, there have been a group of healthcare providers and, you know, the group purchasing organizations that contract on behalf of healthcare providers who are getting into uh, different types of manufacturing. And one group is working on generic drugs and trying to be able to expand the availability of certain kinds of generic drugs. So I think there will be more creative partnerships that will come out of this. Um, and, and there have been um, uh, BD who produces a lot of lab supplies and 3M, which does the N95 masks. You know, they've both come out and said that they're going to be continue to ramp up production in the US. So I think we'll see it in different ways. Some companies themselves expanding their own production and some creative partnerships. Oh, that's excellent. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that hiring was at uh, 50. The hiring report just came out of the Department of Labor at 528,000 people hired, surprised everybody. Has it impacted healthcare much? Is healthcare at all catching up? You know, I get mixed signals from, um, from different of our panelists. So it's probably the answer is it's somewhat regional as to how well they're, they're doing with that. I know, um, you know, in general, the Midwest tends to do a little bit better because folks don't tend to be as mobile. They tend to grow up, go to school here, stay here. And that puts them at a little bit of an advantage when you're creating nurses, when you're creating some of those positions that require, you know, training and education to be able to go in to do, to do that. I think, you know, with the um, non-clinical, we've talked about the incredible competition for those low-end wage earners. And, and I, that's just not letting up. I mean, you know, they talk about on one hand, a, a weakening or a potential recession, but the hiring part of it certainly doesn't look like it. There's no, no shortage of job openings at this point. Although I have heard, and we're going to have to watch this closely, um, 
whether or not because of the margin pressure hospitals are under with the labor and the supply inflation, whether or not they're going to start to put a, a hold on filling non-clinical positions as they try and get their costs further down. So that's gonna be something we're gonna be watching um, because again, um, in fact, it was a comment in the days payable outstanding metric, which jumped from 49 and a half contracting. So when that contracts, that means suppliers are getting paid faster to growing at 57, a big leap. And part of the comment was lack of staffing to work that. Um, to work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And again, those are the kind of jobs that, you know, clinical is always going to take precedent. So if hospitals are slowing down hiring a little bit, they're not, their top of mind is not getting their bills paid, right? They've got to do it. But if it takes a little longer, okay. Um, so we're going to be watching comments around non clinical staffing in supply chain and accounts payable, finance, all of those support services to see if there is any softening in that. But to date, we're not hearing that. Nancy, in talking to some of the physicians, I am hearing that the mask mandate has kind of stayed in place in the clinical environment. Has it also stayed in place in the hospital environment? Oh, yeah, definitely. So if you go into any hospital, or I guess I won't say any, most, all that I've seen, if you're going into whether the hospital itself, an uh, ambulatory setting like a radiology lab, physician office, all of them are still mandating masks. Okay, well, over time, I guess they'll burn off those extra PPE <laughs> things go. that they have. There you go. Uh, I noticed that uh, because they are struggling with inventories, uh, how are the rural hospitals doing in comparison to the the big city hospitals? I know there was some cooperation going on during the pandemic, which was wonderful. Is that developed any, into anything more formal long-term? You know, I, I'm not aware of a lot of formal long-term uh, programs. The um, the, uh, the Association of Healthcare Resource Materials Managers and the American Hospital Association uh, continue to have the um, kind of the, the medical equipment exchange program where, you know, hospitals loan equipment to each other. That is continuing on. But the, you know, the stability of rural hospitals has really been top of mind for the CMS, we call it, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And they have come out with um, with what they call, um, you know, a, a ruling, a proposed rule. And the way this works, they make proposed rules related to funding of hospitals. And then the, the public has a, a, a period of time to respond and make comments before they issue the final ruling. But the rulings coming out, they have, um, they have recommended special funding for what they call, let me look here for a second so I get it right, rural emergency hospitals. So um, hospitals obviously in rural areas can apply for this designation and they will get some additional funding to help them stay open. And also what they're calling a facility fee. So that would be uh, a, just like a base payment. So today you think of 
you get paid for the number of Medicare patients you treat, right? So you bill them, you get paid. So one way is to pay the rural hospitals a little bit extra because of their fixed cost base. Um, and then this other facility fee would, would be on top of that. So there's quite a bit in the proposed payment rule going forward to try and make sure that we can keep these rural hospitals open because you certainly saw during the pandemic how badly they're needed. Um, and so I, I think that that is a good, good thing. Now, you know, those that are a bit more cynical say, well, CMS never really increases funding. They just shift it, you know, so if they're going to pay the rural hospitals more, they're going to pay somebody else less. But I think that um, there's a lot of acknowledgement that rural hospitals have very unique challenges in terms of, of like I said, they have a, a fixed cost base um, with limited abilities to offset some of those fixed costs, challenge in hiring staff, et cetera. So I think for those rural hospitals that are part of a system, they're in a better position because the they get sort of um, material and, and staffing can be shared amongst them. For those that are freestanding, it's much harder, but it looks like the government is trying to funnel additional monies that way so that we can continue to count on that vital community resource. Yeah, it certainly is, and I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you and I have talked about uh, medical records and transportability of those. Are there any new developments on that front? Not that I'm aware of. Um, there is what I would say. I, I deal some with the FDA, um, and there, you know, there's several government agencies that are involved in the whole issue of interoperability, and I would say that during COVID, it was just all hands on deck for COVID and things just nothing happened. I mean, really just nothing. And now I, we're beginning to see, like I said, what these agencies do is they will put out guidelines or, or rulings and then ask people to comment on them. And we're starting to see some things come out about improving what needs to be done to the structure of the data in the medical records so that it can support interoperability. So we're seeing some uh, requests for comments on that again. Um, we're starting to see some interagency uh, discussion about um, data standards and things that would further support this. So I think that it's starting to kind of bubble back up towards the top but it, it has not been a top priority as everybody else have been dealing with just the immediacy of, of the pandemic. I was particularly thrilled last month when we talked about the ability of doctors and nurses to practice across state lines without having to get relicensed in mm -hmm. that new state. Uh, I'm assuming that that is expanding or I'm hoping it's expanding with gusto. Yeah, so the, um, the groups that we talked about last month that are, are these voluntary groups that states can join, um, one for nursing and one for physicians, um, I, I know that they are out there promoting their, um, you know, the benefits of those. If you looked online, there are maps that kind of show states that are considering it. And in many states, that's got to go through their state legislature and be voted on. So I think that will continue to grow. I really do. I have not heard anything about pharmacy is the one area that doesn't have one of those coalitions. Um, 
Mm. But the nursing and the physicians continue to um, to be strong. So pharmacists again are licensed by state. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, they are. And right now there isn't this coalition where they can either either have expedited um, licensing at the state level, which is what physicians have done, or nursing, what they've done is where the license is actually recognized once they have a, a state, uh, a license in a state that's part of the, the, uh, the group, then that license is recognized in other states. But um, so I haven't seen really since last month any, any real change on that. But I think it will be something that will continue to go forward that there's going to be a lot of support for because of the shortages. Yes, no doubt. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad that it's still in action and we hope that all of the states get involved in it. Um, in this particular report, were there any surprises that uh, kind of caught you off guard? Because there's been a couple of significant number changes here. Yeah, yeah, there have. I mean, um, in the um, a glimmer of hope, the pricing um, indexes came down this month. Pricing in general was down five and a half percent from 76 to 70.5. The pharmacy number was a big, big swing. It was down 11 and a half percent. So the prices are still growing, but growing slower. And so it went from 67 to 55. So that was really good news. Um, and supplies are also down three, so 70.5. So we saw that. Um, we saw that mentioned in the manufacturing report that there were maybe a few glimmers of hope that some of the um, commodities were starting to go down a little bit in price. There were uh, comments by some of the panelists that, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the worst of the pandemic, you know, when the prices were just sky high, um, a little bit of relief. So we hope that keeps trending. That would be that would be great. Um, case mix index, the one that says how, how sick the people are in the hospital. I expected that to rebound this month and it didn't. It, it stayed, in fact, it went down a point. So it's still contracting 47.5, um, which I'm not quite sure yet. We'll keep an eye on it. That would, might suggest that while electives are rebounding, it's, it's the less severe electives, more radiology and lab than surgery. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. I would have expected it to pop back up. I think it will. I think it's just a timing issue. But um, and then, you know, in spite of all of this discussion we have every month and I keep saying at some point, I think they're going to pull back on technology spend. They're not. So 50. <laughs> so that's a good news that we're still investing. Um, so, you know, overall, I think it was a very positive report. Volume wasn't quite as strong as we thought it might be, but it was good. It was growing. It was a positive. Um, and maybe some little peaks of sunshine on supply availability um, and pricing. So we'll hope that the positive trends continue next month and that the volume trends go up a little bit. Nancy, if a recession hits the manufacturing and services sector, how is it reflected in the hospital sector? Which part? I'm sorry, Tim, could you repeat? Sure. If, if there's a recession in manufacturing and services, how does that impact hospitals? So, you know, people tend to think of hospitals as being recession proof and, and they are not, but what I'd say is they're, they're maybe less impacted. So for severe illness, people are going to go to the hospitals, right? 
Um, you know, we've seen before, we saw it in COVID, electives can be postponed. So depending on how, um, you know, there's, there's two ways that happens. Sometimes if people are concerned their job is in jeopardy, you know, they may put off having a procedure. They don't want to be um, out of work. They're afraid, you know, if they're not there. They might be on the list of, of jobs that are, are furloughed. Um, or just they can't afford the out-of-pocket part and they're putting things off. But, you know, at this point, we're not seeing people losing jobs. So primarily, it would impact supply, potentially. If manufacturers cut back on production, then that could impact our ability to get supplies. Or if there was a, a, a cutback on raw materials, you know, that could, that could have a ripple effect in, into the market. So, you know, we'll be a lagger on that. You'll, you'll see a recession. If you see it or when you see it, however you want to look at it, it's going to show up in manufacturing and services before it shows up in healthcare. If the past is a good predictor of the future. Right. Fair statement. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us again with this report. It is a good report. It's encouraging. Uh, I was looking forward to an encouraging report, having uh, chatted with you for months and months as we kind of dragged ourselves through COVID, so yeah. that this would begin to back off and not be as infectious or severe. So, Nancy, thanks again for joining us. Uh, thanks, Tim, for having me. I look forward to talking with you again soon. And we'll talk with Nancy next month when we do the Hospital Purchasing Managers Index Report again. Do it every month so that you can keep track of what's happening in that industry sector. Incredibly important. And you can find it at jacketmediaco.com under Manufacturing Talk Radio. As always, thank you for joining us. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.